Hi, I'm Chinny. I'm Astrid. And welcome to It's a Continent, the podcast that decolonizes history one story at a time. So we're here to challenge the common misconception that Africa is a country and essentially appreciate the identity of each nation. Um, and through each episode, we'll be exploring key historical moments which have shaped the continent. Hello, welcome back to another episode. Hello, hello. How are you doing? How's it going? <laughs> There's not really much to see here. <laughs> I was about to say like week number whatever, but it's just general life yeah. now. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't really give an update. <laughs> I have an update. You know your obsession around Facebook groups and joining them? That is the only reason I'm on Facebook, yes. <laughs> So I was like, okay, I need to check out these groups and everything. So I've actually, this is showing how much I've moved on from the current situation. Right. I've actually joined a group where you pretend to be living in 2009 and 2012. Uh, So. Okay. Expand. Basically, anyone who posts, whatever you post has to be relevant to things that had happened between 2009 and 2012. You've got people Ooh. posting like, oh, just got myself the new shuffle or Ooh. the iPhone like three, three or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh so my I'm just gosh. Like, oh, I'm here for this. So excited about the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, just, honestly, that is making me feel so much better about the whole thing. I'm like, I'm not in 2021. I'm in, mate, I'm in 2010. Can, you, can you send me the link? <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will. Don't worry. If you ever need to dip out, of anything I just use you know just scroll through and someone's just like oh this song by Katy Perry is really cool and you're just like oh yeah <laughs> sent by a blackberry <laughs> love it African pride my favorite section yeah. so this week mine is going to Charlotte Ingesson she's a 26 year old Ivorian and the co-founder and CEO of Base Group Her company is a fintech based in Ghana, providing digital services and support. In 2020, Charlotte became the first woman to win the Royal Academy Engineering's Africa Prize for Engineering Innovation, bit of a mouthful, (laughs) and her and her team were recognised for developing software that will transform cybersecurity and prevent identity fraud through artificial intelligence and facial recognition. The tech developed has the potential of revolutionizing the continent's financial sector as cybercrime is widespread with research showing cybercrimes costing the continent 3.5 billion dollars so congratulations to charlotte and her team it's amazing to see african women in stem and in charlotte's own words we need more made in africa that's true especially when it comes to tech and innovation in that kind of space it would be so true really good to imagine having people be like oh yeah i work for this company the headquarters are in insert african city that that, that would be pretty imagine cool. <sighs> tell me about it i was like stalking her linkedin i was like goals <laughs> absolute goals i will be i will be after this i need the bravery to be like i have no full understanding of fintech but it's pretty amazing what she's doing so I love it nice this week we are in Tanzania and we're learning more about its stint with socialism so we've got a bit of a socialism theme going on haven't we We were in Somalia last episode and we're in Tanzania this side a different approach hopefully (laughs) well let's see what the conclusion of this episode is and we will find out 
Where is Tanzania? Tanzania is located in the east of the continent with Kenya to the north and the Democratic Republic of Congo to the west. It's most likely known for having Africa's tallest mountain, Mount Kilimanjaro. You know, it's those <laughs> kind of... It's, it's a sort of induction trip, isn't it? When people say they've yeah. been to Africa, they've either been to South Africa or they've been to Kilimanjaro. <laughs> to be honest, I'm so embarrassed that that was going to be my <laughs> my thing at uni. But hey, we move, we move. We move it's regardless, fine. it's fine. <laughs> like many African countries at the time, Tanzania was part of the independence trend that we saw sweeping across the continent in the late 1950s and early 60s. And the country gained independence from the UK in 1961. Whilst under colonialism, Tanzania was known as Tanganyika. So if you hear us saying Tanganyika, we've not changed countries. It's a bit of a mouthful though. It's a bit of a, normally it's stuff like, ah, oh, East Africa. Uh, yeah. Northeast Africa. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Another interesting point is that in 1964, Zanzibar, together with Pemba Island and other smaller islands, joined Tanganyika on the mainland to form the United Republic of Tanzania. Zanzibar and Pemba Islands form part of the United Republic of Tanzania, but they have their own governmental structure. In this episode, we're going to talk about Julius Nyerere, an influential actor in Tanzania's journey to independence, union with Zanzibar and the Pemba Islands, and its journey into socialism was Julius Nyerere. Nyerere became the first prime minister of an independent Tanzania in 1963 and later became the first president of the country when it came to the United Republic of Tanzania. He's often referred to as the founding father of Tanzania. Nyerere was born in 1922 and first attended school at the age of 12, but that didn't hold him back as he went on to study in Kampala, Uganda and went on to become the first Tanganyikan to study in the UK. He studied at the University of Edinburgh, where he gained a master's in economics and history in 1952. This guy was honestly just moving jobs, prime minister one hand and a next stop president. That's crazy, though, because started school at the age of 12. That's year seven, no? Yeah, I, I can't actually. <laughs> that did not sound. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> that did not sound. But yeah, starting. At, imagine starting at 12. If you started now, you'd just be like this kid is not going to go anywhere. That is, yeah, you know I mean? to make it and that far and become such a cult legend, you know? Following his return from the UK, he went on to teach. He also began to involve himself in politics, something which he kind of describes as falling into. Two years following his graduation from University of Edinburgh, he founded TANU, the Tanganyika African National Union. TANU was a political organisation predominantly focused on obtaining independence for Tanzania. He became a key spokesman for his country, pushing the British government to speed up the process to give Tanzania its independence. Once independence was granted in 1961, he became prime minister, but soon resigned to focus his time on writing and his work with TANU. This man, is that, sorry, am I reading that correctly? He resigned, did he? Is this, is this a leader that actually resigned? He, resigned? he actually resigned. He was just like, do you know what? I've got other things to be focusing on, you know? He wasn't in it really mm. for the powers, you can tell. Do you know what I mean? He really wanted to make a difference. And one of the things that I really like about him is that there's no sense of entitlement. I think a lot of the leaders that we've seen who become these spokesmen and really support their countries in gaining independence, they then are like, yeah. you guys yeah. owe me. Do you know what I mean? You, you, 
and your baby who's coming tomorrow yeah. owe me do you know what I mean they're they're making Basically. everybody pay but he didn't have that at all he was very much like I want to focus on mm. this and that's what I'll do Nyerere wasn't the only person spearheading Tanu. Another influential person was Bibi Titi Mohammed. She was the leader of the women's wing of Tanu and was responsible for galvanizing Tanzania's people to join the party and support its independence. Within three months of leading Tanu's women's wing, she managed to enroll 5,000 new members. Wow, if this was Avon, she'd be like, <laughs> she'd be in there, in there. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I so totally wanted a job being Avon lady, but I didn't really get it. Do you know what I mean? I don't think anyone wants that job. (laughs) Do they? (laughs) I don't know. No, but like your first job, like 16, trying to get a job. So I was just like, you just go around knocking. To be fair, the products, the products were decent. I'm not going to lie. I have, I have had many an Avon product. They are good. By the way. (laughs) This is not an ad. We're saying it too much. Once Tanzania gained independence, she became the Minister for Women and Social Affairs. However, her political future soon came to an end once she lost her seat. Following this, this is where things get a little bit random. In the late 1960s, she was arrested and charged with conspiracy to overthrow the government and was sentenced to life imprisonment. Wow. When I was doing research in this, I was literally like, you know, okay, it seems it's making sense. It's making she's doing well. She's like, life imprisonment and conspiracies. I was like, what Tyler Perry fact? What Tyler Perry <laughs> Tyler Perry <laughs> It went from zero to 100. Do you know what I mean? Rather rapidly, I think. Very rapidly. <laughs> but she was released two years later by President Nyerere and went on to lead a quiet life until her passing in 2000. So, yeah, I just wanted to highlight the role that women like Mohammed played in the continent's journey towards independence. A lot of this can become very male dominated, but there were women like her. If it wasn't for her, those 5,000 new members wouldn't have been there. And it was important to have the people of the country really voice their opinion and fight for independence. Definitely. There were plenty of women that were involved in their country's um, independence movements, like, for example, in uh, when we covered Ghana's independence battle, there were a group of women that actually helped uh, Kwame Nkrumah, and yeah, there are many, many more stories. You know what? We might put that. Let's put that in the episode show notes, actually, so you can have a look at an article with uh, women that's helped uh, countries' independence. Yeah, no, that would be good. I think it's nice to shout yeah. them out as well. Once Nyerere became the first president of the United Republic of Tanzania. He soon introduced the Arusha Declaration of 1967, which set out socialism within the country. The society which Nyerere wanted to create was focused on three principles, equality and respect for human dignity, sharing of the resources which are produced by our efforts, and work by everyone, and exploitation by none. For the many, not the few. (laughs) I'm still (laughs) I cannot believe. Wow. That literally came quick. That's what you related it to. I, d- I was. <laughs> I'm still healing. <laughs> it's a healing journey every day. It just takes time. It just takes time. You know, this too shall pass. <laughs> I can't believe healer. you went there. Bless. Probably just out there in his allotment. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, bless him. Just turned into his carrots. And for those listeners who don't know who we're talking about, it's Jeremy Corbyn, just in, just in case. Yes. <laughs> Google him and 
yeah, it's I'd cry because he was never our prime minister. <laughs> a key element of the declaration was the introduction of Ujima, which means familyhood in Swahili. Ujima was a mix of Fabian socialism and Catholic teachings, focusing on freedom, equality, and unity. Nyerere believed that colonialism had brought capitalism and individualistic thinking into Tanzania and across the continent. And capitalism went against pre-colonial traditional African culture, which was more community-oriented. Yeah, this is what we find, isn't it? And a lot, that's what we talk about when we say around the power that goes to some leaders' heads and the tribalism that often happens as well and how countries become more individualistic but it doesn't actually benefit them. No, definitely. I think, honestly, it's probably because they're not used to it. It was very community-orientated, like he says. And then all of a sudden, it's like this one individual who gets all of the power and can do basically whatever they want, essentially. And so they just go mad for it, you know? That's the problem. Kid in a candy store kind of situation. In his paper, Ujima, the basis for African socialism, Nyerere gives the example of land ownership. And how during colonialism, the coloniser owned the land and was free to do with whatever they wanted to do with it. So they could build on it, sell it or do nothing. But pre-colonialism, land was always recognised as belonging to the community. Each individual had the right to use of land because otherwise he could not earn his living. But the right to land was simply the right to use it. He had no other rights to it, nor did it occur to him to try and claim one, he wrote. On the whole... Yurere was against the concept of individual land ownership. In his paper, he refers to landowners as parasites. Mm. Yeah, but cracking film. Oh, yeah, that was the last film I saw in the cinema, so R.I.P. Really? (laughs) Oh, to be honest, I wish it was the last film. The last film I I went to see. (laughs) Moving swiftly on. (laughs) It was. No. Yeah, says it all, really. (laughs) For Nyerere, the idea of socialism was very much a utopian ideal tied to bringing his country and the wider continent back to its traditional roots. Nyerere was also a strong supporter of women and ensuring equality between the sexes, which most likely stemmed from childhood. As a child growing up, he mentioned seeing his father with his 22 wives and saw their struggle and hard work. 22, sorry. (laughs) 22. I mean, is there really that, like, yeah, I, I don't really have And I'm just wondering, in that situation, is it better to be, you know, like, people say, like, if you're the first kid, you're the one who's, who kind of gets all the pressure, the kid who's ass is, like, the favourite. With wives, is it, like, better to be the first wife or the 22nd wife? Well, judging from my Nollywood experience, <laughs> it mm. would appear that it's better to be the latest wife. <laughs> the latest. Oh, but then once you see the upgrade. Yes, it, it's, yeah. Oh, that will be that. No, that would crush me. This is simply based me. on early noughties Nollywood, so I have no actual basis. <laughs> he noticed that women did and still do more than their fair share of work in the fields and in the home. By virtue of their sex, they suffered from inequalities, which had nothing to do with their contribution to the family welfare. So, yeah, this is actually this is way ahead of his time as well. He kind of I'm seeing parallels to Thomas Sankara as well in in. advocating for women just recently actually there was an article in the new york times that was showing um american women and women in america that were juggling working from home as well as 
having mm. to homeschool their children or help a child that might have disabilities at home. So there was a child that had a disability. The mum was having to take care of her, her other daughter, husband, barely mentioned the article. Oh, really? Or there was, I think there was another one in the same article. There was a woman who had to like, she was busy dressing her child while she was taking a call on Zoom. Husband, just in the office, yeah. not on a call. Just, just chilling, basically. I think it's highlighted a lot how much women are actually doing if they're having to work from home. Because even now, which people think that we're in a progressive society, there's still a lot of pressure for women to do everything, even when they're at home. Yeah, and I think it, like with the current situation, it's just amplified, yes. isn't it? You have to homeschool, you have to help them. If they're a toddler, you have to help them. Husbands just chilling. Yeah. So this is what I saw in the article. Obviously, I'm sure it doesn't speak for everyone, but it's just showing how the pandemic has exacerbated that in a sense. But yeah, incredible to see how progressive Nero was thinking because his words are really true even now. Definitely. In Tanzania, socialism saw the nationalisation of banks and large organisations to the introduction of Ujima villages, amongst other changes. The nationalisation of banks was pretty much focused on the country regaining ownership and becoming less dependent on the West, something which banks like Barclays works hard to deter other African countries from. So they adopted several strategies, including being overly critical of Tanzania's nationalisation strategy to reduce international confidence in Tanzania's economy. So what would you expect? <laughs> Yeah, they were not for it. They even removed workers. And so, yeah, they weren't about this whole nationalisation. They really wanted no. to just make sure that they were in there. The Ujima village scheme focused on the country's development, specifically rural development, which accounted for 96% of the population. The Ujima villages were heavily community-oriented and the first village of its kind was created in the village of Lituwa. Through the scheme, the village organised production, distribution, housing, health and education, and all decisions were made communally. Women's roles were also recognised and appreciated, with housework and childcare counted as part of the village workday. This village scheme led to a decline in child mortality, a reduction in domestic violence, and greater recognition of women within the community, which we're all here for. This kind of reminds Amazing. me of... Um, it must have been season one when we did um, Rwanda's comeback, as it were. And it was the whole concept of taking it back to the roots and kind of going through how things were done pre-colonially and this emphasis on, on communal living. Yeah. And how, you know, the, the quality of life just improved with that. Definitely. I feel like there were a couple of leaders during that time who tried to kind of go back to this whole sense of community and yeah which well tried they tried in it like <laughs> they tried, yeah <laughs> it's like the one of those participation badges yeah. or certificates should i they mean they tried it, it, <laughs> they it makes for interesting discourse <laughs> definitely under Nirene's leadership the country also saw improvements in literacy rates as well as healthcare. we focused a lot around ujama and socialism but beyond that Nyerere also carried out other things he also had a vested interest in his neighbouring countries, from going to war in Uganda in 1979, to overthrow the dictator Idi Amin, to his involvement with the organisation of African unity, the OAU. 
now known as the African Union, the OAU was introduced to promote unity, solidarity, cooperation and development between African countries. Nyerere was very much about bringing the continent together and in a speech he gave in Ghana in 1997, he mentioned how during his time fighting for his country to gain independence, what he was really pushing for was for all of the countries in the east of the continent to gain independence as one state. And this is because he feared that it would be difficult to bring the continent together if countries achieved independence separately. Which is such an interesting idea around like, yes, he got independence. What he really wanted was to bring the east of the continent together and say, let's work as one country in a sense as well. Yeah. In his speech, he goes on to say that he rejects the glorification of the nation state we inherited from colonialism and the artificial nations we are trying to forge from that inheritance. We are all Africans trying very hard to be Ghanaians or Tanzanians. Fortunately for Africa, we have not been completely successful. The outside world hardly recognizes our Ghanaianness or Tanzanianness. What the outside world recognizes about us is our Africanness. He firmly believed that unity would be the continent's strength and would distinguish us from the West, where although, you know, Hitler was a German, nobody expected the likes of Churchill to be ashamed of Hitler. Still in the continent, the likes of Idi Amin came to represent the whole continent. I guess it's also what we see now, because you know how if you were at work, for example, or in a corporate environment or wherever, really, we're always, it's as if as a black person, you are the spokesperson for a black person. Or it's like, okay, I had that one experience with you. And now I'm going to think that all black people think just like you. It's it's that kind of mentality that I think we see here. Whereas you could meet, like, you can meet white people that that were rude, right? And you're not going to be like, oh, that's just like, you know what I mean? You won't hear any disparaging. Yeah, you don't just kind of like, yeah, the whole community, you're just like, okay. Just, yeah, like. <laughs> you won't hear someone go, oh, well, that's what they're all like. You know, you won't hear that. And that's the same attitude that we see here. I think the Hitler thing is, it's a very interesting comparison to make because I haven't thought of it in that context before. You know, Europeans aren't made to feel bad for the actions of other Europeans. Definitely. And that's why I found that example he gives around Hitler and Churchill, because there's not everything was that expectation of, oh, because he was white, then the likes of Churchill should also have felt that shame in a sense. Whereas I feel like as an African, you represent a whole continent. And what it made me think about is whether the solution to some of the challenges that the continent faces is not seeing ourselves as me just seeing myself as Congolese and Nigerian, but seeing ourselves as Africans. Yeah. But then in a sense, is seeing yourself as an African then kind of perpetuating that whole Africa is one monolith? Monolith, yeah. That's the problem. It's just a problem. (laughs) Wait, hang on, what's this podcast called again? This is, I think that's where the struggle is because you do, this is the bit I do disagree with him is just because the West weren't recognizing or seeing your Ghanaian-ness or Tanzanian-ness, that's people not choosing to educate themselves and understand the distinction. What makes you different from your neighboring countries? Mm. Do you see what I mean? Because I do believe there's a general sense of Africanness in terms of who we are as a people and things we've experienced. But I do think within individuals' countries, there is 
a distinct sense of culture as well, which I feel he kind of saw as like, well, if the world sees us as Africans, do, that's how we need to present ourselves. Yeah. It's an interesting point he makes. Yeah, definitely. That. But it's it's good that we're able to at least take the bits that... It's good to be able to challenge these kind of views, I think. Unfortunately for Nyerere, socialism in his country just did not work out and it created enormous issues for the population. The country faced increased poverty and reliance on foreign aid and they went from being the largest exporter of food in the continent to the biggest importer. Mm. Mind blown. That's crazy. Like, how? What? Honestly, wow. So... Why is he so celebrated? Because to create a bit of balance, Mm. right? The reality is he was unsuccessful in his mission in introducing socialism and was unmoving, you could say, in this pursuit that he it basically did lead to the country kind of falling to pieces. And a lot of critics of Nyerere do describe him as overly ambitious, utopian and impractical. And when I was doing research on this, I started to question, ask myself, was the challenge for Nyerere was that the community he was trying to revert back to traditional African culture Mm. now had a taste of Western ideas of, you know, capitalism and individualism, that it was difficult to revert them back to a post-colonial world? Mm. It's like, it's like the forbidden fruit, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, like it was... (laughs) Gosh, we're bringing all of the different analogies <laughs> But it's true that, like, was that where they just had so much already had happened that actually no one was really identifying with this traditional African culture that he was seeing. They're like, I've had a taste of capitalism, mate. I've got myself a piece of land. I can build 10 houses on this. Charge Boom. everyone. Charge you, <laughs> charge you all. You might be out here calling me a parasite, but... but I... Look who's laughing now. <laughs> look who's laughing now. Honestly, it's legit a question. That's the thing. I guess in a sense as well, another question is, was capitalism actually, does it only work for Europe? Did they actually introduce capitalism to the continent because they knew that it wouldn't work? Do you see what I mean? Like, it would... Like the only people that actually benefited from capitalism is the Western world. And to an extent, it's kind of slowing down still. But (laughs) that's my shade of the day. But um, yeah, is I don't know. It it seems nice at first, but at the same time, I don't know if it's actually benefited people really on the continent or even well in Tanzania, for example. I don't want to generalize the continent. No, no, I see what you mean, because it then kind of leaves you in a state of limbo because you can't go back to where you were because everybody's experienced the forbidden fruit. The new ways of, I was going to say new ways of working, (laughs) cheese with this brain of mine, but the the new wow doesn't work either. So it's just like, what do you do now? Yeah. What's the alternative? So lots of questions. Typically, when we get to this point of the episode, we start discussing a leader who is now clinging on to power. What they had in mind didn't work out. And they're like, you know what? I still need to hold this on. The despot triangle normally comes in. Yeah, I mean, 
we used, we're used to it. If you've been listening to us, you're used to the steam. But that was not the case here. Nyerere resigned as president. Sorry? That's right. Resigned. I don't think we've ever used the word resigned when discussing an African leader on this podcast. No, I don't. I actually don't think we have. It's usually like a coup, isn't it? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? A coup. Another coup. I've loved this coup. A coup. A coup. Soldiers. A coup with <laughs> three seasons in, and we've expanded the vocabulary where we can include words like resign. He resigned in 1985, and he was the first African leader to retire voluntarily. He basically did so because he realized that his policies weren't working and the country needed something else. However, his belief in socialism never wavered. He still strongly believed in it. There is a lot to learn from this. He realised that his policies weren't working and the country needed something else. I'm just repeating that line. Um... (laughs) (laughs) For the African leaders at the back. (laughs) Well, I was thinking more a bit closer to home. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there's something they can learn from this resign imagine that that takes it takes a lot to yeah a lot of humility to be able to appreciate that and understand that be like you know what it doesn't it doesn't it's not working I'm actually like taking responsibility really Uh, just letting it go do you know what I mean honestly when I when I read this I I did a double take I was like did did I just read the words resigned is is that correct yeah, he resigned. And he also recognised that African leaders had failed the continent. Going back to that speech in Ghana that he did in 1997, he acknowledged that we of the first generation leaders of independent Africa, so referring to himself and others, have not pursued the objective of African unity with the vigour, commitment and sincerity that it deserved. So this is my plea to the new generation of African leaders and African peoples. Work for unity with the firm conviction that without unity, there is no future for Africa. Mm. Just incredible. Just that level of accountability and realizing that there was an element of failure with this first generation of leaders. And it makes me think around the point we make of these leaders are fresh out here. No idea. They've not had a handbook handed over to them by someone. I don't know if you get like a leader's handbook there was no handover handover. so they just had to make it up as they went along or copy and paste what the colonizers did yeah it's nice that he kind of recognized that Nyerere passed away in 1999 and following his death a tribute which I feel best encompasses him described how Nyerere's life and work set an example of integrity that challenged his country and people, the rest of Africa, and the world. In many ways, Nyerere was the conscience of Africa. Wow, what a guy. When we hear about people like Julius Nyerere, it's just nice to bring his story to light, really, because, again, this is someone that I hadn't heard of before. We didn't know about what he was doing, the things he did in Tanzania. I mean, certainly for a country where everyone goes to climb Kilimanjaro. We know an awful little about. Do you know what I mean? You'd think like we'd be hearing about Nyerere. Yeah, you know I mean? it's incredible. No, it's great. Yeah. It's been great covering this story. 
thank you so much for listening to this episode and we just want to shout out fran who supported us on buy me a coffee the links are in the episode show notes and our podcast description you can also find us on patreon as well and we are on social media on at it's a continent on twitter and at it's a continent pod on instagram yeah thank you for listening we are actually can you actually believe it season three season we are halfway we are yeah we need we need a break mate i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) but no we will be on a break yes make sure to kind of stay up to date on when we're coming back and everything if you've not caught up in season two season one go back re-listen anything that you want us to cover in the upcoming four episodes that we have left for the remaining seasons we do listen and we do our research so please please do dm us we love it we love the emails we love it we had a lovely email on a, a topic that we are going to cover so yeah we do we do we do look at our emails and our dms and our tweets so yeah feel free to message us amazing so we will see you all very soon thank you so thank much you. catch you soon bye bye <laughs>